Hello and welcome to the Yarniacs pre-recording for episode 73. Today is Tuesday, October 14th, and we are sitting outside the building for the Santa Cruz Knitting Guild, where we are about to do our first public presentation. I'm just a tiny bit nervous. Oh, and I'm Gail. <laughs> and I'm Charlene. And we do have a pre-recorded episode that will begin in just a moment, but we wanted to make two announcements. First, we have a winner of the Botanical Knits 2 ebook from Alana Dacos, which we reviewed in episode 72, and we had 117 entries into the drawing, so I did random number generator 2 to 117, and the winner is 72, who is Susie Girl, S-U-Z-Y Girl. She is Susan on, that's your real name, Susan, so please contact us and we will get you in touch with Alana, and I believe that one of the shawls was your favorite from the book, and you didn't have any stash yarn, so you get to go shopping, yay! (laughs) Congratulations, and the second announcement is about the Northern California Knitting Retreat. By the time this episode goes live, we will be accepting registration forms. So if you have an interest in attending the Northern California Knitting Retreat in April of 2015 in San Juan Bautista, California, please check out our the thread in our Ravelry group or check out the Ravelry group that has been opened for the Northern California Knitting Retreat. And there will be an email address there to email Tracy of Two Knitlet Chicks to receive an email registration form. So thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy your regularly scheduled episode, which will begin right about now. Right now. Happy Bye-bye. knitting. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Yarniacs podcast. This is episode 73, which we are recording on Friday, October 2nd or 3rd. I can never keep my day straight, Lily. It's October 3rd. It's already October. I'm Gail. And I'm Charlene. And today we have a very special guest on the podcast. We have Edie Ekman. Hello, Edie. Hi there. Edie Ekman is an expert in all things crochet. And since we have been kind of sharing the crochet love lately on the podcast, (laughs) it seemed a natural progression to have Edie on the show and talk to us a little bit about crochet. So Edie, how long have you been crocheting? Well, I probably learned when I was about six, so a long time. (laughs) I can't, I can't do the math. I'm not being coy. I just, I, that's, that was a long time, more than 40 years. So most of your life. Right. That is fantastic. And you are a knitter as well, correct? Absolutely. I learned to knit and crochet at about the same time. Oh, okay. That is fantastic. I I was a crocheter first, and crochet doesn't happen as often for me, but every time I do it, I just love it and think, oh, it's so much faster and kind of easier on my hands, and I always think I should be crocheting more often. Yeah. I, too, was a crocheter before I ever learned to knit. I learned to crochet very, very young. I used to make little, I used to make clothes for stuffed animals and bookmarks and all kinds of little, little things. Little kid things. Little kid things, exactly. And it wasn't until I was much, much older as an adult that I learned to knit. so. So on our podcast, we usually have some typical segments. So one of the things that we usually talk about is what are you knitting or in your case, crocheting or crafting? So we're going to let you go first. And what's on your crochet hooks lately? Well, I, I have several things. I'm right this very moment. I'm working on a silk shawl and it's I, I stitch and stitch and stitch. And it's still just this tiny little thing because it's a 
silk thread, so it just oh. goes forever. But I'm also working on crocheting a baby blanket and knitting a pair of socks, and I'm about to start sewing a slip cover, which is a new thing for me. Ooh. So, and that sewing is in the sewing machine. As in sewing machine, yes. Oh, wow. So you all are multi-craftual. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know whether I can do the slipcover. This is this will be a new experience. Oh, well, good luck to you. That sounds – I've been so fascinated by sewing in recent years, but I just don't have the space in my house yet to commit to it. So yeah. it's a future craft for me. And what are you knitting lately, Charlene? I am still working on my Magnolia cardigan. Very, very close to the finish line on that. I need to get some buttons and put on the button band, and I'm really excited to have a brand new cardigan for when the weather finally does turn cool here. (laughs) I hope so. It's been 95 here in Santa Cruz the last two days. It's been crazy. Yeah. Crazy warm October so far. Yeah. But how about you? I see you knitting away on something nice and pink over there. I am still knitting on my my daughter-approved cow by Susan Ashcroft, which is the lovely pink azalea colorway from Shasta Daisy Knits in her Crown MCN DK base, which I'm loving. And since we last recorded, I also cast on my inner piece shawl. Oh, I love that pattern. I cast it on. I had been madly in love with Monomania, the sweater I'm knitting. I cast on for inner peace, and I haven't touched monomania since. Isn't that one fun to Oh, it's very fun to knit. I love that. I really need to make another one. (laughs) And I'm also using a new-to-me yarn. It's Miss Babs Ephemeral. It's a fingering weight BFL silk blend, and it's in a very almost solid gray, and the colorway is called Slate. And the yarn is fantastic. So I'm just, I'm super happy with the knit, and every night I look forward to pulling it out, so... Really enjoying that. Great. So that's what I've been knitting lately. And one of our other regular segments is what are you stocking? So, Edie, this could be anything from what you're fantasizing about crocheting <laughs> next or what you're actually designing or, you know, what's on the forefront of your crafting mind lately. Well, we have just moved to a new house. So I mentioned a slipcover. So it's not knitting or crochet It's this sewing thing because all of a sudden all the furniture that I moved from my other house looks horrible in its current position, and I can't afford to have it reupholstered, so I'm going to have to sew. So I've been stalking Pinterest and and sewing blogs to figure out what to do. Oh, well, that's really smart. So instead of buying new furniture or reupholstering, slipcovers for it. Right. Ah, when you said slip covers, for some reason I was picturing comforters to put over a comforter on the bed. Oh. No, I'm talking about furniture. Oh, fantastic. I need new slip covers. We have, when my kids were young, we started doing slip covers on our sofa, and I still have one on there, but it's a dark color because when they were kids younger, <laughs> they would climb on the sofa, and now that they're a little bit older, I, I think I'm ready for a nicer slip cover, so I'm yeah. with you on that. I need to do that, too. <laughs> you guys should share Pinterest boards. <laughs> oh, I'll look. <laughs> what are some of the crochet classes that you teach i mean we know and what are some of the books that you offer because i did introduce you as a crochet expert well one of my my brand new book is called christmas crochet for hearth home and tree so that is just out 
So I'm very excited about that because it is time to start thinking about the holidays, yes, you know, so Christmas stockings and so on. But, of course, I did those a long time ago. So that's um, I've moved on to other things. But that's that's sort of still at the forefront of my mind um, to really get people excited about crocheting for Christmas. And then coming out in January is the second edition of the Crochet Answer Book. So um, it's been out almost 10 years. It's been a bestseller, but it's I have expanded it and updated it and added information. It was almost like writing a new book. So that those that's what I've been doing most recently. And other things I have upcoming are the things that are on my hook right now, but I can't talk about them yet. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it has to be secret. Well, we, right. we received a copy of the Christmas Crochet Book, and it is fantastic. It is so cute. I have to say, I just, I love the little garlands and the, just the way all the socks and the mittens are displayed. Yeah, the, the Advent garland. It obviously, I'm assuming, has the 25 patterns on it, which are, for our listeners who haven't seen the book yet, they're a combination of stockings and mitts. And they're so cute. And, of course, in the picture, each one has a little treat inside. So yes. <laughs> as in an advent calendar leading up to the Christmas. And it's just adorable. It really is. It was fun to do and takes almost no yarn. So you can just use scraps of yarn. Are they mini? Are they little? Stock- they're little. They're about three and four inches high made with so- with um, sport weight yarn. But you could use sock weight yarn. Right. And they'd be just a little smaller. Yeah. And that just, would be a perfect, like, scrap user upper. Mm-hmm. And just you could use so many colors. The, the book pictures, beautiful photography, too, they're just so colorful. You've used so many different colors. Right. Or use them as gift tags. I mean, you don't have to make all 25 of them. Right. You could just do a few. That's yeah, true, too. I could, I could see them as little gift tags, like she mentioned. Or, or to hold a gift card. Gift card. Yep. Yes. That so cute. Yeah, they're really adorable. And the ornaments in the book are really, really cute, too. I love several of those. And I could easily see, I could crochet up several <laughs> ornaments yeah. very quickly. So love the book. And it's very, I always am a fan of white space so that you can really focus on the pictures and the instructions. And this book is very well laid out with a lot of white space. And as I said, the photography is really nice. You have very close-up shots of all of the projects and little project notes, and it's just fantastic. Line-by-line instructions along with charts, so people who prefer one over the other. I like the charts. I I was going to mention that, too. I really like the charts. I'm a huge chart fan. I, I think everybody should be reading charts. Well, I recently took your crafty class on joining crochet motifs, Mm-hmm. I really liked your course materials and, of course, the way you taught the course, but instructing us on the, the importance of being able to read the charts because they are almost universal, right? Right, right. And and it's so much easier, even if, even if they seem scary at first. With crochet, there's so many places you can put your hook that it's nice to have a picture there. The chart is just a picture of where each stitch goes, and it just is a picture's worth a thousand words. Well, and that's one of the things I really appreciated about the Craftsy class is because when you were talking about joining motifs and where to put your needle, I've always put my needle in a different place. And I thought, oh, 
wow, you can actually make that ridge stand up as a design element or you can make it flatter or I've always had more of a bump, which I've never really liked, but didn't know I could avoid doing. So despite my years of crochet, <laughs> I learned something in the first 10 minutes. So it Yay. was fantastic. That's cool. That's, I think so that's true of so many crocheters, knitters too, but I think it's it's more true in crochet that sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. Yes. And it, yes. it takes a class to, to show us, oh, well, I, I never had like that, but I didn't know there was a fix for it. Exactly. So, yeah, I really have enjoyed that class, as well as your book, The Crochet Motifs the Book. The Motifs, yeah. We talked about that one several episodes Yeah, we ago. had that for review, and I love that book. We, Not only do you have all the beautiful motifs in it, but also the joining and stuff. So I I really want to make a crocheted motif blanket. It's on my high you've list. You've been talking about yeah, that for a long time. Now. I have, <laughs> I know. My idea is to use all scrap yarn to do it, and I never have the right scraps that I think are going to go together in a color sequence. So that's the only reason I haven't started it yet. But I've learned so much from you, and I really appreciate it. Well, you know, you don't have to have them all all before you start. That's right. the great thing. It's they're, they're individual pieces, so you can just... Make some, and then when you get some more yarn, make some more, and eventually it will come together. Yeah. I keep telling myself that, and then I I know in the back of my head I'm going to use it as an excuse to shop for yarn so that everything can match. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, unless you've seen my stash. So, But, yes, I know that I should just get started and start doing them, but um, – the, the main point was how fabulous your class and your books are. And speaking of crafty classes, you have a new one of those coming soon, too, don't you? I do. I have one that's actually already out. It's called um, <clears throat> Improve Your Crochet Essential Techniques. And in it, it's, it's really like a tips class. It has a lot of things that even if you've been crocheting for a while, you might not know. And so it's just... I, I was going to call it 25 things every crocheter must know, like, you know, like a BuzzFeed thing, mm -hmm. but um, they nixed that title. So <laughs> it's Improve Your Crochet Essential Techniques. Less scary yeah. title, maybe. Less intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> now, so that's out and available now. Fantastic. Okay. okay. So when they had the Craftsy sale, I don't think that was available yet. So I just missed it. Well, there's it, always another Craftsy yeah, sale there coming. Is. <laughs> right. Right. And the other question I was going to ask you, because I know a lot of our listeners are knitters and they haven't branched into crochet yet. Would you have any words of wisdom for a knitter who's maybe contemplating trying out crochet too? suggestions on the best way to start and or why you would want to try crochet? Well, sure. It's you know, it's just yarn. It, it's just a different way of manipulating yarn. You already know how to hold yarn. You already know how to control yarn. It's it's just a different kind of stitch. And so it's nothing to be afraid of. If it feels a little uncomfortable at first or you feel like it's not looking as good as you want it to, remember you're starting to learn something new. You may be comfortable as a knitter, your stitches didn't look that great when you started knitting either. They got better. The same thing will happen in crochet. But hopefully it will happen just a lot sooner because you already, you're already familiar with yarn. That makes sense. So just relax. Yes. <laughs> 
And is there something specific, like a specific type of crochet project that you would say is good for a beginner? Um, if you're going to be following following instructions, make sure you've gotten some well-written instructions. You don't want to start with, like, your grandma's slipper pattern that just assumes that you know a lot of things. Um, you know, start with a good pattern if you're doing that. But I really think you can make anything you want as long as you're motivated to make it. I love that attitude. I do, too. <laughs> yeah. So as long as you have that spark of interest... Go for it. Right. Yeah. Right. I don't even like, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of tagging patterns as beginner or intermediate or advanced because, I mean, obviously some patterns are for experienced knitters or crocheters. But really, if you want to do it and the instructions are well written and you take your time, just you can do it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I like, as I mentioned previously, I learned to crochet at a young age and I remember at some point going to it was a Woolworths and buying some little pamphlet that had instructions on how to knit hats or something it, it was hats and I was really young and my mom and my grandmother were so confident in me that oh you can do it you can do it and I ended up being able to do it and most folks wouldn't have thought a child that young would be able to uh -huh. follow directions and produce an actual wearable hat. I can't say, I can't say anything about the quality looking <laughs> back on it, but I had something that was wearable and I think I was able to attempt it because I didn't know it was supposed to be hard. Exactly. I think <laughs> as adults, we put a lot of our own baggage on things and have higher expectations than we should. Whereas I'd rather teach a kid to knit because a kid will just be, or crochet, because a kid's used to learning. They're just, like, excited to explore and do something they didn't know how to do ten minutes ago. But adults are like, oh, this is too hard. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look as good as yours. Well, yeah, I've been doing this for 40 years. But, you know, when you've been doing it for 40 years, it can look like mine. You've been doing it for four minutes. Keep going. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Very, very true. So I would like to hear what inspired you to start designing and at what at what point in your career did you start designing or was it a career change for you? How did you get into this crochet as a business? <laughs> well, I started um I used to own a yarn shop actually when my when my um daughter was born. I was going to stay home with her, and within three months, I had bought an interest in a yarn shop. So I was a co-owner of a yarn shop with a three-month-old. Um, and I had designed, sort of done custom design sweaters for people. You know, when they couldn't find a pattern they liked, we'd come up with something. This was before the Internet, if that tells you how long ago that is. <laughs> um, maybe not before the Internet, but before knitting on the Internet. Yes, and when we, yes. when we closed the yarn shop after... I'd been, when my children were a little older, I just decided I needed to stay in the business. I'd been buying yarn wholesale, and I couldn't imagine having to pay retail for yarn. <laughs> and about the same time, I was flipping through a magazine, and I thought, oh, well, I've designed better-looking things than this. And so I submitted a design, and it was accepted. Um, so, wow, it's not always that easy. <laughs> <laughs> 
But at the time, I was doing just knitting. I mean, I would put crochet borders on things, but I didn't really start designing in crochet until I wrote the Crochet Answer Book about 10 years ago. So adding the crochet, I was a knitting designer first before I was a crochet designer. And I have no background in either other than (laughs) doing it as a child. Well, and so what made you transition from knitting to crochet design then? Was there an inspiration for that or just a change in interest? Well, no, I, and I still do knitting design. So um, I, I keep, it's funny, I, I keep telling people, but I'm also a knitting designer. I design for, for knit as well. I'm just known for crochet. Mm-hmm. Um, it was when I wrote the crochet answer book, um, all of a sudden people were asking for crochet designs. And so um there are seem to be fewer crochet designers than knitting designers, or at least fewer working um, publishing, I guess you would say. And so, honestly, there was less competition. That makes sense. Yep. Doesn't that sound horrible to say? No, I don't think so. I think that if you want to make a career in in the fiber industry, you need to take advantage of things it's like a, that. It's a, it's it's a strategic, strategic move. move. Exactly. exactly. That's what it was. That, that was it. It was a strategy. Yeah. That, that was it. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I appreciate that you, that you're frank enough to tell us that. So, and we, you know, I know that you still are a knitwear designer as well. I've been browsing, you know, to research for this interview, browsing through your designs on Ravelry and the yes. different things that you have available. And, one of my questions is, I think you have beautiful designs across the board, but most, I shouldn't say most, a lot of crochet is mostly, it seems like is accessories versus garments. Right. And what can you tell us about, let's see, I'm trying to think of a specific question, but my interest is just more in general, the difference between designing for garments versus accessories. Well, I think that the reason you see, I'm going to answer your non-specific question, maybe not the way you were asking it. Um, I think there are more accessories in crochet because that's what people want. And so that's, I mean, that's what people want to make. So that's why there are more designs that way. In other words, sweater patterns don't sell as well. So why design sweaters? Okay. That makes overall, that's not speaking for myself. That's just in general. in general, right? Um, I think that just like in knitting, crocheters are afraid of committing to something that's not going to fit or not going to look flattering. And whereas in knitting, maybe we've had a little more education about how to to pick patterns and adapt patterns to make them fit, maybe we don't have that same kind of comfort level. We crocheters don't have that same kind of comfort level in making garments fit. A few years ago, I actually was interviewed for a paper that someone was writing on crocheting garments and why people were reluctant to crochet garments. And I'll get that information to you for the show notes in case people want to look that paper up, I, I don't know where it was published, but I'll see if I can find that and share that with your listeners. Yeah, that would be great. See, and I can understand from the perspective of, okay, I'm not confident enough of a crocheter to be able to crochet a garment that's fitted to my own body. 
But one of the big crochet projects that I tackled when my first or my second daughter was born, I decided that, okay, I've already crocheted her a blanket. I want to crochet her a sweater. And I wasn't knitting yet. So crochet was what I defaulted to. Mm -hmm. And I picked the most complicated <laughs> crochet pattern. There was no shaping because it's a baby garment. So I didn't have to be concerned about that. But I had front double post crochets and I had bobbles and I had stripes and I had so many things going. And I very confidently, you know, it was one of those, okay, I know it's going to be hard, but I don't know how hard it's going to be. So I'm going to do it. Right. And got as far as where the sleeves had to start being shaped and ended up bringing it to our local yarn store and hiring someone to finish the sweater. And at first I was feeling a little bit of shame for that decision. And then I thought, no, I did the, the majority of the work and I don't know how to do some of these other things and I'm not going to rip it out. I really want to see her wear it. So I then decided that what I had done was a smarter move and she wore it a lot and it was really fun. It was in a bright pink teal and white combination, which nobody who has heard my knitting would be surprised of those colors. And it's in her box of heirlooms that someday, oh, wow. she, yeah, someday she will have that for her children. So mm -hmm. yeah. And, but I do understand the trepidation and I was still, you know, I was crocheting blankets, which obviously they're less complicated than a garment. But if I had attempted that project now, I know I would have completed it. It wouldn't have been anything that I couldn't do with the skills that I now have. Even though my skills are knitting, I could have applied that to the garment. So, Well, you understand gauge, and you understand that you're creating a fabric. And I think a lot of times self-taught crocheters don't understand that they're creating a fabric and you need to have a hook and a yarn combination that's going to, to make something that feels good to wear. And a lot of times that doesn't happen. Well, and I think also with experience comes an appreciation for different fibers in your yarn too. And that project I used an acrylic yarn and that's what I used then. And I know from experience now that if I had been using a nicer yarn, my experience overall would have been better. So Correct. I wouldn't have been fighting the metal hook in the acrylic yarn. And that, too, would have been a benefit of more experience. Right. Well, so you've learned. Yes, I have. A, I'm very glad to know I can learn things. <laughs> <laughs> that same daughter is now 15 years old. So, you know, I'm glad that I learned something <laughs> Well, she's 15 and now you know nothing, right? Oh, exactly. <laughs> if, if you ask her, that is true. I, You know, I think I have a similar crochet. Well, mine was a fail experience. I remember trying to follow a pattern. This was also for me years and years ago, probably before. It was before I learned to knit. I tried to follow a pattern for a crochet tank top. And the reason it ended up being a fail is because, if I recall correctly, the whole thing was done in single crochet, and perhaps I chose an incorrect yarn or something, but the fabric was so thick and unstretchable Dense, too that it, it was like putting on armor to get ah. inside this tank top. And I don't remember anything about the pattern. And I still wonder to this day if 
if it was, you know, something inherent in the fabric of the or the design, or if I just did it all wrong. <laughs> well, but then that goes back to Edie's point of knowing knowing what, the what hook and yarn right, are going to make the right, fabric you like. Right. So if you had experimented with a bigger hook with that Perhaps, yarn yeah. or something, it could have yeah. been a more forgiving yeah. fabric. So yeah. here we are again, learning new things about crochet, <laughs> even though we've done it for years. Sketching. So this is one that we ask a lot of designers that we interview on the show because Charlene and I both are fascinated by the process of designing in general. How do your designs begin? What is your process that you follow? Well, usually it starts with yarn and a hook or needles and putting something on that, you know, casting on or chaining and and starting with a stitch pattern. So, so I'm a very tactile person and my brain actually starts working while I'm swatching. So I don't always know what it's going to be to start with. I have to actually engage my brain while my hands are working. And as the fabric grows, it, then I get an idea of what it might be. Now, of course, sometimes I'm starting out working within parameters if I'm you know, if I'm working for a yarn company and they say, we need a woman's sweater, then I know it's going to be a woman's sweater. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know what kind of sweater it's going to be until I'm creating the fabric. Okay. okay. So, so I always, so I swatch and then I sketch, you know, then I sort of have this idea that occurs to me as I'm swatching and then I sketch that. I, I'm not a great drawer, but I can, I can draw it well enough to, remember yeah so swatching, idea. so swatching and sketching kind of go hand in hand right yeah that makes um, sense. once or twice i've had kind of an epiphany i remember one time i was in the 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 yarn playpen <laughs> you know the, you know when you're at stitches or somewhere yes. market yep. and it's just you're knee deep in bags yes. of yarn. <laughs> and i leaned down and i and i grabbed this bag of noro sock yarn and it was an epiphany i knew exactly what it was going to be just from the balls of yarn and amazingly it worked out exactly perfectly the way i expected it to that never happened wow (laughs) but isn't it a fantastic feeling when it does But I wish it happened more often because it would be so much easier. Yes. Yeah, I would think so. Like every if every ball of yarn spoke to you and told yes. you what it wanted to be. Exactly, yeah. right. Well, and I think it didn't actually happen quite that way. I think I had been swatching and swatching and swatching, playing with a bunch of different stitch patterns with nothing particular in mind, maybe the week before. And then when I saw that yarn, it all kind of gelled. Like, okay. oh, that's the yarn for that stitch pattern. Well, and does that, well, obviously your epiphany was a one-time-so-far event, but is that something that happens frequently where you'll be swatching with a particular yarn and realize that it's not doing something you want and then realize there is another yarn in your stash that might work for it? Not really. Okay. No, sometimes I, probably it should, but <laughs> um, no, I, I get pretty focused on the yarn in hand and trying to make it work, and I, I should be more open-minded toward well, that but if that's your process that's your process so right uh, it's probably something i should work on 
Well, I don't know if it's working for you now, but so it sounds like then a swatch is an integral part of your design process and you clearly are swatching for every single thing you design. I, I swatch way, I'm a serial swatcher. I, I have way more swatches than I have designs. Um, I actually have trouble finishing something because by the time I've done a really good swatch and I've created the design in my head, to my mind, that particular design is done. Oh, okay. I'm going to move on to something else. And so if you tell me then, oh, you need to make that, I'm like, oh, but I've already made it in my head. Ah, That doesn't surprise me. Do you have people who help you knit things in where you come up with the majority of the design and then maybe you can pass it off to someone else to finish it? I I do have some um, who do that. I don't use them as often as I should. Probably I could be more prolific if I did that. Um, and, and I tend to use them in, in spurts, you know, all of a sudden I'll have five things that need to be done this month and then nothing for months at a time. <laughs> so. Well, I think that's, that's kind of natural flow for a lot of people who are creative that way. I mean, you do, you have mental like explosions of creativity that are followed by lulls sometimes. Yeah. And then, so back to the swatches. So you said when you were, I don't remember your exact words, but something to the effect of when you have a finished swatch. To you, what is a finished swatch? Do you have a certain size or is it just based on the project? I mean, I've always just knit a four by four swatch, which of course doesn't always tell you what the garment's going to do or the accessory is going to do. Yeah, the the overall fabric. I tend to be more like six inches to start with. And if it's really working and, and if I've gotten to say four inches of of length, I, I'm usually getting an idea of what it might be and say what a collar might look like, you know, if it's going to be a sweater, what the neckline might look like or what a cuff might look like or something. And I'll actually add, if, if, it, if I think it's going to be a sweater with a, with a round neck, I'll actually add a rounded edge to the swatch so that I can then do the neck treatment on that curved edge. Okay. So then your swatch might look like a part of the body of the garment and then a finished edge, one of the, like you said, in, the, in this case, the neck treatment. Right. So, okay. Right. Or, or a button band or a, a neck band and a button band if it's a cardigan. Okay. And then is there a specific way you treat your swatches post crochet or knit to see how that fabric is going to result? I mean, I'm assuming you block and, and wash them, but is well, it specific? Yeah, I, I do whatever I'm going to be doing to the finished garment. Okay. So if it's if it's going to be a T-shirt that's going in the washer, I put it in the washer. Okay. I measure it first before I do anything to it. And then I do whatever, you know, I'm going to treat it however I'm going to treat the finished project. So if it's like this, what's now just a silk shawl mess, you know, a lace a, a lace lump. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would I would stretch it out and I would wash it and stretch it out and block it, wet block it to see what's going to happen. Okay. So, so I treat my swatch like my finished piece. Okay. Which is what I try to do. Now, do you treat it any differently if it's crochet versus knitting? No. Okay. I didn't think so. No. <laughs> I didn't think so. And oh, you had another one, right, Charlene? Yeah. I. I mentioned this previously that I took your class crochet for knitters at TNNA three years ago, and I 
I really like the idea that crafters can move between knitting and crochet seamlessly and actually use both in the same garment. And one of the things that really struck me or that I remember about your class was how easy it was to add on a crochet button band to a knitted garment as opposed to picking up stitches and doing the traditional knit-on ribbing, let's say, for a button band. Right. I know you had some other examples in the class of areas where knitters could mix crochet in. Can you tell us a little bit more about maybe those areas and some of the techniques that you recommend? Well, you can always use um, a crochet seam to sew things up, you know, to to seam garments together. Together. Mm-hmm. Now, I would typically use a mattress stitch if I'm working with, say, stockinette stitch. But sometimes you have really sloppy ends, and mattress stitch doesn't... If you have a really stripy sweater with a lot of ends, you know how the edge can be just kind of loose and messy? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'll use a crocheted seam on the inside to just tidy that up and not try to do mattress stitch with all those kind of loose edge stitches um and of course you can do collars you can do crocheted insets you can do um nice crocheted edgings on the bottom of a sweater nice wide lacy things um i have a i teach a class called go by textural where we make a little water bottle cozy and we go from crochet to knit to tunisian to knit seamlessly Mm. i mean there's you know, like, let's not make a distinction. Just use whatever technique you want to get the look you want. Hmm. Interesting. Now, and I wanted to go back to the seaming just quickly. Is there a difference in the fabric or the kind of tension of the seam between mattress stitch and a crocheted seam? Well, sure, because with a crocheted seam, say if you're going to use um, a single crochet, one, you're going to get a ridge. Okay. on the on the inside or you can make it on the outside to make a nice um decorative element mm-hmm. you know just a nice raised ridge so it is going to be a little bulkier than mattress stitch it, it's going to have a little more heft but sometimes you actually want that mattress stitch is um you know it, like i say if you're if you're doing something that has really loose edges mattress stitch might not really be substantial enough to control that so you could use a single crochet seam. I don't really recommend slip stitch seams. They tend to be pretty tight and unforgiving. Single crochet has a little bit more give to it Okay. than slip stitch would. So actually, as you were speaking, that was making me think. So the single crocheted seam could give a lot of stability to a garment that could really use the stability. It could, right. And speaking of stability, another way that I have used crochet in my knits is if I've had a sweater that droops at the shoulders, you know, a heavy cotton sweater that's really, say the sleeves are dragging the shoulders down, Mm -hmm. I will go in with a cotton on the wrong side of the sweater and slip stitch across from shoulder to shoulder across the back neck too. And that will control that that droop, if you will, because sweaters fit our bodies. We're like giant padded coat hangers, and so you want the shoulders to fit. 
And if the shoulders don't fit, the rest of the sweater doesn't fit. And by controlling that droop, by doing that slip stitch, um, I don't know what, it's not a seam, but, you know, just the stability of the slip stitch can really help prevent that droop. Yes, I have used that technique on many a sweater because I have a consistent issue with sweaters pulling out of shape for me. I guess my padded hanger syndrome <laughs> is worse than most people's. So I do that pretty regularly with my sweater. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Because, we have talked about yeah. that a lot on the podcast because, yes, Gail has had that issue with sweaters a lot. Yep. And you said that you use cotton when you do that. Is there was that just because you were using a cotton sweater as the example, or is yeah, that- probably. I'm just trying to think. It's nice and smooth. Okay. And it doesn't stretch, but you don't want it so tight. I mean, you don't want it to bind across the back. You don't want to be uncomfortable wearing it. Right. But um, I, just a smooth yarn because you don't want it to to show through, and you don't want it to leave mm. little fuzzies. Um, right. Oh, yeah. That might show. So I I usually just use a cotton. That's good to know because I hadn't, I don't think I've consistently used cotton to do it. I've just, I try to use the same yarn as the sweater, but that now thinking about it doesn't make sense because if the sweater is stretching, well, why wouldn't the yarn that I'm using to crochet reinforce that? Cotton is really unforgiving and you might not want to use cotton if you're using slip stitch. I mean, slip stitch is pretty unforgiving too. So you want to find that nice mix of yarn and stitch that's going to give you the stability you want without binding. So I'm, but forget the cotton and just use whatever seems to work. Well, truth be told that technique, it only takes a few minutes to do that right. to a sweater. So, really you know, quick. I could try it with one yarn and if it doesn't work, just pull it out and try it with another. It's not as if that takes any real time, um, you know, just to incorporate that reinforcement. So that's the other thing is I don't think a lot of people realize that things like that are just, Literally a matter of, you know, maybe 10 minutes if you know how to do a slip stitch. It's that fast. So, yeah. Right. And then you're not going to be hating that sweater for the rest of its natural life. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I've given many sweater away because I can't make it fit right, even after trying that technique. But now I think I'll try a different kind of yarn and maybe I'll have better success. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Maybe I just haven't tried the right yarn, too. So, again, we're learning as we speak. This is fantastic. Okay, so do you have any upcoming events or anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I'm going to be at Stitches East next week teaching, and then I'm going to be at Rhinebeck on Saturday. Oh, that's October 18th? Thank you. (laughs) I just heard that. I didn't know what day that was, but, yes, October 18th, I'll be signing books in the book barn. I think that's barn B all day on Saturday, so please come by and see me. And um, I'll be at Stitches West in Santa Clara, California in February. Yes, that is February. Yep. So those are the upcoming ones. And then you'll be seeing me on some upcoming other things online that I can't talk about yet. Okay. (laughs) Well, we will be at Stitches West in Santa Clara as well, so we will be sure to look you up. Yeah. (laughs) Wonderful. Do you know what classes yet you'll be teaching there? I do know what classes I'll be teaching, but I'm going to have to look them up on the Internet. (laughs) (laughs) So we will add that to our show notes so that people who are attending Stitches West will know what classes you'll be teaching. 
And right. like you said, you have the two. Do you have more than two classes on Craftsy? Or just the two? I have three classes on Craftsy. Okay. I have a class called How to Say It, Pattern Writing for Knitters. Oh, that's right. It's a it's a pattern writing class. It's about how to word your patterns so people can understand them. Um, I have the Improve Your Crochet and the Joining Crochet Motifs. And I've also just finished a crochet along on creativebug.com, which I did in conjunction with Red Heart. So if people are interested in that, um, it was a 12-week crochet along, but it's still available on um it for free on Creative Bug. So I was looking um, at that the other day, and that's the one to knit a cabled afghan. Knit a cabled afghan, and it's um, I think it's twelve, uh, twelve, thirteen squares. I can't remember now. Well, that one looked um, really interesting to me. Well, and, and and I take you every step of the way along the way. So if you've never knit cables, that's a great way to do it. And as I say, it's free, so yeah. that's nice. So we'll definitely uh, link, link to that. that in our show notes as well. And can you tell us just a little bit about Creative Bug? I've heard it mentioned, but I don't really even know what it is yet. Well, Creative Bug is um, another online learning platform. And in this particular model that they have, you subscribe. So you pay a subscriber fee, and you can watch as many videos as you want. So they have um, sewing and quilting and cooking and knitting and crocheting and I don't know what else, paper crafting and um, many different crafty things. But you can watch all the videos you want for the term of your subscription. Okay, so instead of purchasing by the class with Craftsy, you have a subscription that gives you access to everything. Right. And But as I say, my class is free, so you just have to you have to create an account, but you don't have to pay anything. Okay. Oh, well, that's fascinating. Yeah, I'm going to go I know. check that out. Definitely look that up. Yeah. And then one last thing. When we were chatting about doing this, you had mentioned that I should remind you to tell us about the fastest provisional cast-on that you know. And knitters are always looking for good ways to do their provisional cast-ons. So can you enlighten us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I think I had heard you talking about it on one of the podcasts about how what a pain it is to do a provisional cast-on. Yeah. yeah. And um, I just do a waist-drawn cast-on. I don't even know the name of it. I call it the itsy-bitsy spider cast-on, <laughs> where um, you have the waist-drawn and you're picking up your working yarn around the waist-drawn. Do you know which one I'm talking I about? That's the one I do, yes. Yeah, and and it's I can put stitches on a needle lightning fast with that, uh -huh. um, much faster than any other cast-on. Yeah. This is faster. Okay. And But it may be one you already know, and I'm just not calling it the right thing. Yeah, we'll, but, we'll look for it. <laughs> now, maybe I'll make a video one day. I'm sure that, I'm sure there's a video on YouTube. Okay, we'll look. But yeah, <laughs> I'm fascinated now. And is that is that provisional cast on easy to take back out again? Oh yeah. Oh. If you use you have to use the right waist yarn. Okay. You know, you you can't use a fuzzy uh splitty waist yarn. Yeah, for me it's never been the yarn itself. It's always that for some reason, when I go to take the yarn out, it's like I have to unknit every stitch. It doesn't just pull out like I expect it to. No, this should just pull right out. Okay, so I could have been doing the provisional cast on incorrectly for years. Maybe. And that's why. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> me, yeah. But, okay, thank you. So we will definitely be looking for that. 
All right. Any other words of wisdom or or suggestions you have that you wanted to share with our listeners about crochet and or knitting? Well, I just like to encourage crocheters and knitters to relax and enjoy it and learn all they can. I mean, don't be don't be happy with what you know now. Always go out and look for ways to improve on what you're doing. There's probably a way to improve on it. Yes. And that just keeps you interested and keeps you from being boring and bored. <laughs> Maybe and boring. <laughs> <laughs> and and it makes it more enjoyable. Right. So you're so you're not getting bored and, and stuck in a rut. You're always out learning new things. Right. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I appreciate the fact that in your classes I'm learning new techniques even though I'm not necessarily expecting to because that's even better when you kind of learn by accident. Right. <laughs> and, of course, I'd love to have people take classes from me, too. I love to teach. So well, any of your listeners who are around and have that opportunity, I'd love to have them in class. That sounds great. And I will look forward to hopefully trying to take one of your classes at Stitches West next year. Yes, that'll be fun. Okay, well, thank you, okay. Edie, so much for being on the show with us. We really appreciate it. And thank you for all of the advice that you share through all of your books and classes, etc. because you exactly <laughs> you're really, really a, a a huge benefit to the crocheters and knitters of the world. So thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, you have a fantastic welcome. day. All righty. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can find our podcast on iTunes at Yarniacs Podcast. Visit our blog with show notes at yarniacs.com. We have a friendly and engaging Yarniacs podcast Ravelry group. My Ravelry name is Knitter Ninja Shar. Gail's is Gaily Whaley. You can follow us on Twitter at Yarniacs or on Instagram at Yarniac and at Gaily Whaley.